It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+, on the app, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, of course, at the beginning of the week, Monday morning. Uh, It's half term. So for those of you who have children uh, and you haven't gone away on holiday because you can't afford to, uh, this is the best place to be to listen to our uh, three hours of entertainment, uh, information uh, and, of course, debate, uh, which we'll be having with many people, including your good selves. You know what to do. Uh, The number, of course, is uh, 0344 499 1000. You can reach us uh, on the Twitter as well, at Talk TV, at IR. OMG. There's been a few things that happened over the course of the weekend that we need to discuss. Uh, no, not the Super Bowl, uh, although apparently it was quite a good game. Uh, I didn't stay up and watch it last night just for a change because normally uh, I feel a little bit uh, tired the morning after the Sunday night before. But we didn't watch it last night, so never mind. Instead, what we're going to talk about is a great many other things. Claire Fox joins us. Baroness Fox, no less. Uh, I'm going to ask her what she thinks is going on up in Liverpool, uh, where in Knowsley over the weekend there was a public unrest. Uh, some people called it a riot. A police van was set on fire. Uh, some people call the protesters who are protesting asylum seekers being put up in a local hotel uh, as far right. I'm not sure that's correct. Uh, a lot of the people who seem to be involved uh, were local Knowsley residents, and many of them have been arrested. Uh, the Care for Calais charity is involved. They're apparently up in Liverpool uh, helping these illegal migrants to somehow assimilate with our society. People in this country are getting sick to death uh, of being told by this government uh, that we are a very welcoming country and all you've got to do is walk down the street um, and pass a load of people uh, who are living free in this country, getting paid to live here, being given food, uh, while we are supposedly being absolutely squeezed financially, both for our heating bills, for the cost of living crisis that we're going through, and for tax, which the government seems to think they can continue to put up in order to give more money away to people who don't deserve it. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about the secret plot to unravel Brexit on the front page of the Daily Mail today. Senior politicians and business chiefs stage a summit on future links with Europe. Well, that might not be what everybody wants, because there was a referendum in 2016 in which we decided to leave the European Union. I'm sure Claire will have something to say about that. Peter Hitchens will be here, of course. Uh, He's got some more warnings uh, on the Ukraine front. We'll be talking about this mad satellite spy business from China. Because as I said to Dr David Bull, who's in all week for Julie Hartley Brewer, if the Chinese can put a satellite up into space, which could literally spy on what your golf ball type is as you put it down the first tee before you hit it into the woods, why do they need to put a balloon up which floats around 
rather sort of randomly and is affected by the direction of the wind to spy on army bases in the United States of America. It makes no sense to me. Some people are saying it might be aliens. Well, that would be a turn up for the book, wouldn't it? We haven't got any listeners in Mars, I don't think. Well, maybe we've got some now. Who can say? 0344 499 1000. Also, I want to talk about the crime wave. Uh, yet another murder, a death of a 16-year-old girl stabbed to death yesterday um, over the weekend. Absolutely horrendous. We're going to be talking um, about the parking nightmares that we all have now as councils get more and more anti-car. We're going to be speaking to Ian Taylor, director of the Alliance of British Drivers. And uh, Jordan Tilsley joins us as well. She's got some interesting things to say about the attitude to Lee Anderson, the working-class Tory, uh, who Lisa Nandy is accusing of being right-wing and hateful. Well, I don't know if that's true, but it certainly isn't my impression of Lee Anderson. Lee Anderson seems to me to be a very down-to-earth, very straight-talking individual, and if he tells me so, and also, by the way, he's not a northerner, uh, he comes from the Midlands as far as I can tell. Uh, we'll find out from Jordan what she makes of it all. She wrote a very interesting piece in Spiked Online. 0344 499 1000. We'll talk about schools as well. It's all happening. It's all happening right here. The sky's blue. The, the sun is out. The, the portents are good, ladies and gentlemen, for this week. Let's get it on. Oh, yeah, the other thing I forgot to mention is uh, the Labour Party have decided to have a go at the Tories for wasting money, <laughs> which is pretty good coming from them. Um, apparently, though, there are some incredibly expensive bills being handed out down and around Whitehall Way, uh, where people are being told, basically, here's a card, uh, it's taxpayers' money, you can spend up to £20,000, do what you like. And apparently they've been spending things like fine art photographs, £23,000 on alcohol for UK embassies abroad. You know, all sorts of ludicrous things have been bought and paid for by the taxpayer on behalf of government ministers. But don't worry, because the Labour Party are actually doing it as well. So we'll be looking into that too. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Claire Fox, the Baroness of Buckley, Director of the Academy of Ideas, of course, as well. Claire, a very good morning to you. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Fine. Good. We're going to get onto this secret Brexit plot very shortly, but I just think we feel, I feel like we should kick off with what's been going on uh, up in Nosley, Liverpool. A lot of people making a lot of hay out of something which is a pretty unfortunate and pretty horrible situation. What do you make of the coverage of it, first of all, despite whatever it is that you think might have happened? Well, I think the coverage is actually very important because it explains a little bit about what happened. Mm which is immediately what people have wanted to say in terms of the coverage is that this is a far-right organised demonstration. Yeah. Um, I, I think the term far-right is very promiscuously used. And don't get me wrong, there are the emer emerging far-right groups with some pretty nasty credentials, so yeah. I'm not trying to deny their existence. But the idea that this was a kind of organised far-right, it also has to be... Uh, the coverage has claimed this has got nothing to do with local people from Liverpool or mm. Knowsley at all, you know, because obviously they all vote Labour, so you can't have far right and vote Labour in the same sentence. No, but it is possible but, to have people who voted Labour who are not very happy about what's going on. Exactly, because the reality, not the coverage, is that this is actually a local demonstration indicating tensions mm. around the fact that people are very unhappy about the hotel, um, people staying in the hotels. Yeah. And the particular specific allegation, and I think there's some film footage, but I've got no idea how valid it is. Yes, I've seen is that. that. Somebody, yeah, somebody staying in the hotel who's a, a young uh, man in his 20s had, had sexually, you know, harassed or, you know, made made approaches to yeah. some young 15-year-old who kept saying, look, I'm only 15, yeah. go away, and right. he carried on. 
So we know that these stories then have to take the form of, you know, local, locally people very unhappy, people worried about their kids. But the main problem is, is that out of nowhere, Posh Hotel in Nosley is full of people who are here in the middle of a major controversy about whether they've arrived illegally. Mm. And everybody wants local people to just put up and shut up. Yeah. And any criticism is met with the accusation that people are racist, that they're unfeeling, that they're inhumane, that they don't care about people fleeing wars. This kind of gaslighting of local people really annoys mm. everyone. Yeah. And they've taken to the streets. You can see how these things can become inflamed easily. Absolutely right. And I mean, I don't know if, if we can draw this conclusion, but certainly an awful lot of towns in the north of England and in the Midlands, which might be more likely to be Labour constituents. It seems to be housing an awful lot. I know it's it's being spread a little bit far and wide now, but, you know, you're talking about places like Rotherham, you know, Bolton, um, Sheffield, Nottingham, you know, parts of, you know, Peterborough, I think was one of them as well. You know, very much, you know, inner city areas, which are not exactly booming financially, where, ho where hotel chains are just shutting down for the general public and taking millions and millions of pounds from Serco to house these people. And, you know, we seem to now have reached, it seems to me, a tipping point because people are going, how many more, how, how much more of this are we supposed to be going to take? Well, I think that's right. I think that one of the things that's really difficult is that when scenes like uh, happened in Nosley become ex literally kind of explosive and get out of hand, and obviously uh, it, it's unpleasant and scary to see, you know, burning uh, police vans, uh, and what's been described as an ugly atmosphere. But it's also true, and I, I want to emphasise this, if you're inside one of those hotels, regardless of what we think about illegal immigration or the boats or legal immigration or refugee seeking or asylum seeking, those people are just being put there by the British government, right? It's not mm. their fault that they're in the hotel. It might be they that came over here. It must be absolutely terrifying to be surrounded by thousands of people shouting and screaming. And so what you've got is a situation where the, uh, the as it were, the apologists for the policy mm. of the small boats are not dealing with it, try and make out that the whole point of the demonstration is to frighten ordinary people in the hotel. Yeah. And and it, it, it makes people seem as though they're completely got no feeling at all. But what's really happened here is a political problem, which is that the government and the opposition, the government keep claiming they're going to do something, don't do anything. Mm. The opposition make out that anyone who criticises the government's, uh, um, you know, attempts at doing things like the Rwanda scheme or whatever, or tackling the mm. problem, must actually despise any foreigners. And so in some ways, they are accusing the demonstrators of whipping things up. They've actually, the Labour Party have accused Suella Braverman of almost being responsible for this because they keep saying the rhetoric she uses and the Home Office use is actually leading to this. But what I'd say is that the frustration is that you cannot get anyone to listen to you. Mm. And I, I say the gaslighting thing because there are you saying there's a real problem here. Like, you, like you've said, right, you... People are really worried about their bills and so on. And they think, well, people have been put in hotels yeah. and given food and free electric and all. And you can get a doctor if you're in a hotel, yeah. but you can't if you're local. Mm. People say and a that. Dentist. Exactly. And people then in, uh, you know, the commentariat and the politicians basically tell you to shush, shush, nothing to see here. Right. And I think that frustration is 
fueling, I'm afraid. I think it does yeah. give some sucker to the far right. Oh, I think so. But, but also, the, yeah, it is frightening because at the end of the day, this is a, a, a problem of the government's own making. You know, they thought it was going to be small scale enough for people not to really be worried. And if anybody did kick off about it, you could say, oh, you're just a racist. You're trying to make hay out of this. But now it has reached a critical mass because it now does affect practically every community in the country, you know, and every time you point out that something's wrong, you get accused of, you know, tarring people with the same brush. But, you know, we've just got another case in Kent of a young schoolgirl, uh, four Afghan refugees who are at the same school who came here unaccompanied. I don't know how um, have been arrested on the basis that uh, they were involved in, in, in the rape of a, of a 15 year old girl. You know, these are things that people notice. You know, you can't keep brushing under the carpet and going, yeah, but most of the people that come are law-abiding citizens and they're all, uh, you know, going to be contributing to society. Well, not if they're living in a hotel, not if they're being, you know, funded by the taxpayer and not if the kids who are going to school are behaving in a criminal way. I, I mean, you've also hit on a point there. I mean, forget criminality. If you put a load of any young men confine them in a hotel and sort of give them nothing to do and they've got nothing to imagine anyone mm. who's got nothing to do with where you're from yeah right you're asking for trouble aren't you you wouldn't do it right. i mean it's a kind of recipe for a disaster yes and you can't blame people who are local from just being concerned about it mm. and if there's no legitimate way of raising those concerns if when you demand that your elected politicians do something about it, you're somehow treated with a kind of sniffy, mm. you know, looking down your nose. Or what's really, I think, uh, doing the Tories a major disservice is the Tories now realise they've got to do something, right? Yes. So they keep talking the talk. But there's nothing more frustrating than politicians looking you in the eye and saying, you're absolutely right, we are going to tackle this and then not doing anything, because that makes your blood pressure rise even further. Mm. And, and the inability to tackle this issue, um, I think, is going to bring a, a lot of politicians a huge amount of a disdain and contempt when it comes to voters just turning their back on them. Yeah, because, I mean, that's you know, people are very willing to put up with any number of uh, things which are designed to help people who are in, in distress or in need. You know, it's a bit like saying, well, do you want to help the homeless? Well, yes, I do want to help the homeless. Well, do you mind if we give you five homeless people to look after um, while you're living with your family? Well, no, actually, I don't want that. And if you put yeah. them in my front garden, I'm not going to be happy about it. You know, yeah. you have, the government has singularly failed. Their answer, by the way, for this is to move them out of the hotels and put them into disused holiday camps. I know. Well, how I mean, is that the answer? That's... You know. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I mean, just ridiculous. I, I, I think you also just need a good dose of honesty. Yeah. It's obviously difficult to tackle. I mean, bureaucratically, it's difficult to tackle. The processing is taking forever. There's also, you know, so even if they'd be honest and say, right, stage one, we're going to do this. Mm. Stage two. But what happens is they say, we're going to clamp down on the small boats, uh, but we don't really know what to do. You know yes. what I mean? And uh, there is also a, a really stupid thing, which is to a certain extent, one of the things that a lot of people, even in the Conservative Party, argue this, the people who are here waiting to be processed should be allowed to work. Now, you might think, good or bad of that. But actually, there is something in it, right? But mm. the government refused to let that happen. And if they were allowed to work, they also wouldn't be cooped up in the hotels, right? Even it's temporary work visas while they're being processed. So you might say, 
oh, well, that will just delay the processing. But actually, the processing is not happening and people are Yeah, but it's worse waiting. than that. We've got to just take a break. But I'll just say this. It's worse than that because when they move them out of the hotels, they move them into accommodation, which we've also paid for, which we have, no, no, have, no. Have, have put them in. It's ridiculous. The whole thing is mad. Claire, stay where you are. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about Brexit and the secret plot to unravel the democratic uh, referendum of 2016. This is Talk TV. Talk radio. Exhalation. Conversation. Confrontation. It's not all bad news. It's Talk Radio. The home of common sense. Nationwide. By your side. Talk radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We're talking to uh, Baroness Claire Fox of Buckley, also director of the Academy of Ideas, of course. Front page of the Daily Mail. This story has been sort of bubbling around for a little while as well uh, as people have been talking about Brexit. It was the third anniversary, of course, uh, of Brexit just uh, a few days ago. Secret plot to unravel Brexit, uh, says the front page. Uh, basically, this is being said by a Tory peer um, who apparently reckons that there is a gathering going on of prominent politicians, business chiefs and ex-civil servants um, who are hoping to unravel the deal uh, that he helped to put together, Lord Frost we're talking about here, uh, with Brussels. Now, uh, Claire knows a thing or two about Brexit, of course, was uh, an MEP for the Brexit Party. Claire, I mean, is there any truth to this, or do you think it's sort of wishful thinking on the part of the uh, rejoiners, for want of a better word? Well, no, the, 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 tr the real story is this, that for two days, I think on Thursday and Friday, at Ditchley, which is one of these kind of grand... Uh, houses where they have, um, you know, conferences and uh, and, and gatherings oh, yeah. and so on. There was a group that got together, and that when you look at the cast list, first of all, there were some Brexiteers. So mm. let's get this right: there was Michael Gove, there was Gisela Stewart, there was Michael Howard, Norman Lamont. They're kind of, you know, leavers of yeah. whatever way you think of it. But on the other side, there was David Lammy, mm. Lord. Mandelson, right. do you believe? And then, more, if you want more worrying, David Liddington, who's a conservative, is very uh, remain. Yeah. Uh, Ollie Robbins, who is the person who, who came up with the Theresa May deal, which was ultimately thrown out and seen as a betrayal. Yeah. Um, and Tom Scholar, who's the kind of Mandarin, you know, civil servant that nobody, that lots of people think is. It doesn't dodgy. sound like much of a weekend party, does it? Uh, first of all, can you imagine? <laughs> the main thing is it was a secret gathering. Yes. Right. And you might say it's an interesting cast list because although I'm a great fan of Gisela Stewart and various of the people on the list on the, on the Leave side, yeah. you know, why wasn't David Frost a, 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 a invited? You know, they had Ollie Robbins, who was David Frost's uh, predecessor. Yeah. David Frost, pretty hardline. Why have they got, they've got all these people from the Lords, but they didn't invite Kate Howey, didn't invite Daniel Moylan, mm. i.e., one can be suspicious that this gathering, which apparently was how we can fix the problems of Brexit and have a closer relationship with Europe, they're not saying about rejoining, but this is a very worrying development. What they're basically doing is accepting that Brexit is a problem yeah. rather than what David Frost says, and in fact I agree with him, is we've got to implement Brexit. Mm. You know, at the moment, what's happened is Brexit's happened formally. We've had a Brexit deal. They've abandoned Northern Ireland, which they've actually got to sort out and get Northern Ireland out from under the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. But they won't do that because they haven't got the courage. Um, and therefore, we feel as though Brexit's only half done. Mm. Brexit was only ever, not, it's not just a done thing. Brexit was an opportunity to make laws 
in a sovereign fashion mm. and to tackle things like control of borders. And we've already just had a conversation right. about even though we've got that, the political class that we've got just they don't it's almost like they don't want to take advantage of leaving the eu right. they feel much safer in the warm embrace of of, a, of an organization where they can kind of say we in europe decided to do this yes. rather than being answerable to the british electorate mm. and so i'm very nervous i have to say but also they wouldn't say that they wanted to rejoin would they because they know that that would be a massive red flag and people would be all over them like a rash whereas what they can say is that oh well you know let's just talk about what the terms we could have possibly, you know, in the future, you know, what kinds of deals we could make and all of that. I mean, every businessman that I speak to tells me that the amount of business that we do with the EU and EU countries is minimal and will still yeah. be minimal for the rest of it's, time. So it's not even that important to our economy. Well, exactly. Well, let's put it this way. There's all sorts of problems that the economy faces in the UK that won't be resolved by having a trading relationship in a you know single market way with the EU you're absolutely right but but I suppose the big thing is the British electorate voted to leave the EU and it wasn't an economic decision the economic problems that we've got which have obviously not been helped by locking down mm. the country for two three years which a lot of us anticipated but also the productivity problems that the British economy has started while we were in the EU, EU a sort of real failure of imagination to invest in uh, technology in making sure that we uh, can become a productive country. And a lot of the laws that hold back, you know, everything from house building to building uh, factories or anything are now in the hands of British politicians and they should get rid of them. Mm. But guess what? They don't. They basically put massive taxes up. They're not doing anything about the supply side. And they're actually ignoring or neglecting those kind of productivity things. Mm. So my fear is that they're kind of like looking to the EU as some kind of a or a closer relationship and trading with the EU because it gives you an easy win. You know, you can basically get a few trade deals right. with the EU if you can have a level playing field. That's not the same as solving the economic problem. No, of course not. And it's also, I mean, as we saw from um, uh, last week, you know, AstraZeneca is saying we actually think Britain is now not a great investment opportunity because of the state of the tax regime and the taxes exactly. are too high. So we're going to go to Ireland, you know, and even the Remainers didn't make a big deal of that and say, look, oh, we're go they're going to, to, to the EU instead of Britain. No, they're going to Ireland instead of Britain because Ireland in, uh, in, in and exactly. of itself has low taxes. Yeah, just one one interesting thing. You might think this is odd. I'm going to recommend that the what, listeners and the viewers read a Guardian article by Larry Elliott. Okay. Larry Elliott was actually a, an economics uh, a writer for the Guardian who voted to leave. Mm. He's kind of a lefty leaver, a lefty proper lefty. Brexiteer. And he exactly like myself. Yeah. And he makes a point actually in today's Guardian. I think that you know one of the things which actually held back productivity was the freedom of movement where you basically could treat workers and from Eastern Europe or from around Europe as a cheap source of labor. And basically what the British bosses did for years, UK, was they never had to solve any problems at home. Mm. They could just bring in undercutting workers, cheap workers. Yeah. So basically, since we've left the EU, some of them now have to innovate. They have to improve conditions for British workers, for UK workers. They also have to think about, you know, more... Uh, clever, smarter ways of investing in technology and so on to make their uh, uh, organisations work. In other words, being in the EU 
was stopping us solving the mm. economic problems. And there is an opportunity now to do something about it. Larry Ellett explains it very well. OK, we shall find that out and, and, and retweet it out. One final thing for you. Um, this is a poll uh, by the Corporate Culture Wars Project at the Policy Exchange uh, in which, surprise, surprise, it's been found that an awful lot of people would rather go to work and not be asked about what their pronouns are or what their politics are or whether they you know, have a view on veganism. Indeed, one of the most galling things that's happened recently is that uh, corporates and those British bosses who won't do anything to improve the conditions of their own workers mm. don't mind, which I was just talking about, don't mind giving them a lecture on how they should embrace Black Lives Matters. That's yeah. one of the examples given in here by a variety of companies or, you know, the likes of Halifax Building Society, where you're worried about what's happening in banking or getting a mortgage or having a decent job there. And what are they doing? Sending you on courses so that you know how to use the right pronoun. Mm. Ordinary people are must be at the end of their tether because what's happened is a new elite looks down on them like the old elite used to be really snobby. Mm. These days they look down on you because you don't deploy the right attitudes or language at the workplace and show that you're a culture warrior. If you want to get on at work now, you've got to say Z say that you're a great fan of you know uh, what is it uh, uh, you know trans rights and, mm. and trans ideology you've got to go along with the the, the whole uh, list of right on uh, views what business is it of theirs they employ you to do a job you should do the job to the best of your ability and your politics and your opinions are none of their business mm. it's ridiculous it really and is. scary yes it really is absolutely ridiculous what they want to try and make you do and make you say uh, but as ever claire great to talk to you thank you very much indeed baroness fox of buckley director also of the academy of ideas follow her on twitter there's always some good stuff going on there uh, we've got more to do we've got uh, plenty of crime in this country and it's going up it's getting worse last week we reported on uh, the knife crime statistics and how many more people are being stabbed to death now than ever before well i'm afraid there was yet another incident a 16 year old girl murdered over the weekend in a village park uh, in a place near warrington up in the northwest of england shocking story uh, we'll bring you more on that uh, with harry miller former police officer um, who's going to tell us as well about what else has been happening this weekend on the app on your smart speaker talk radio and talk tv welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with you all the way through until one o'clock, of course. And then uh, seeing Collins back with you from one till four. Uh, in for Vanessa Feltz on uh, Drive, it's going to be Kevin O'Sullivan uh, from four o'clock. And then it's Jeremy Carl live, of course, from seven. Jeremy's going to be on the show later on to tell us what is coming up uh, on his show. Piers Morgan from eight, of course. Uh, and then uh, the talk, which I believe I'm on uh, later on as well. Uh, Mike says, Mutley, the government and Labour were quick to condemn the demonstrations in Liverpool, yet did not condemn the illegal immigrant involved. This is what gets right up the public's nose. Action now. Barry says this, uh, I'm not surprised about what happened at the hotel in Liverpool. It's a cry of frustration and anger from people who are fed up with the inaction of politicians. It's happening elsewhere throughout the EU. Ireland now have demonstrations with Leo Varadkar labelling the protesters as racists. As far as I'm concerned, they're patriots. It is an incredible state of affairs that the people of the country in which we live are actually demonstrating outside a hotel which is housing people who have come to this country illegally but yet uh, who are being subsidised to live in that hotel by money that the taxpayers outside demonstrating have paid. 
That's basically where we are. It seems an extraordinary state of affairs, and it's only going to get worse, as far as I can see, uh, until the government finds a proper method of dealing with this problem, which has now reached mammoth proportions. I kid you not. We've been talking about it here at Talk TV for many years. Nobody listened, and now look where we are. Let's talk to Harry Miller, former police officer, founder of the Fair Cop Group, of course. Harry, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mike. Nice to be on here. Very nice. I haven't seen you for ages. I I thought you'd been taken hostage or something. Uh, well, I know you've just not invited me on, Mike. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> well, listen, I blame, I I blame the, the production. Time, the last time I was on, I got in trouble from the uh, the National LGBT Police Network. I think they wrote to you. Oh, yeah, OK. Uh, because I said that, that we had a police force within a police force that was taking their instruction from Ursula van der Leyen and the, uh, and, and the European community. Right. Well, I stand by that, okay. uh, that statement. And if they want to write to you again, uh, please let them. Well, I'm sure they will, and we'll look forward to receiving it. Anyway, let's talk about the crime <laughs> uh, wave in this country, because yet again... It was only last week we were talking about uh, the knife statistics and more and more uh, young people particularly being stabbed in this country than ever before. And now there's another case up in Warrington, uh, not a million miles away from you. Uh, Emma Fortune, um, apparently, I think is the name of the... uh, Sorry, Brianna Gay is the girl's name, um, stabbed to death in a village park. I mean, there was was an incident, not a particularly bad incident, uh, not far from where my kids live, which is a very leafy sort of village in Sussex. I mean, this is going on all over the place now. It is because, unfortunately, crime, as you and I would recognise it, is not a priority of the police. For instance, a recent Home Office report showed that only 3.7% of burglaries, 4.2% of thefts, and 6.6% of robberies resulted in a charge. Now, the police seem to take the view that, like death and taxes, we are now expected to accept low-level crime as just an inevitable fact of life. Mm. The police, unfortunately, are far too busy conducting their ideological policing to crack on with the rough and dirty business of dealing with crime. And that, unfortunately, is a result of us having a woke police force and having a bunch of police officers who are, they're not diversity officers, Mike, they are political commissars. And their main focus is not protecting you and I from villains Mm. and low-level theft and mid-level crime. They're interested in pronouns, they're interested in promoting Black Lives Matter, and they're interested in cracking down on any form of dissent. Did you see the story this weekend in The Telegraph about how Northumbria police have been conducting an audit of statues? Oh, yeah. In order to work out which... In order to work out which, in order to work out which statues were connected with the far right. Mm. Now there's the Viking. Uh, I think there's the Viking shopping centre um, somewhere up in Northumbria, yeah. um, and and there are a pair of Vikings outside that. Two Viking statues, and the police have been tasked with working out whether these are in fact um, uh, dog whistles to the far right. Now is that the kind of policing that we want? Do we want an audit of our shopping centre and statues by the police? Or should the police be out there catching criminals? I know what I think. Um, It'd be interesting to know what you think, Mike. Well, to be honest, I prefer things to do what they say on the tin. You know, the police are supposed to protect us from villains, from bad people, from harm. Uh, They're supposed to keep the streets safe, which they're not. Uh, And they're supposed to arrest bad people for crime. Uh, as opposed no, to, see, I, you know, I, I making lists, think... making lists of things to me is what you do when you're bored, living on your own, and you go, I know, I'll make a list, and then that'll be something that I've wasted an hour doing, and I've only got another four hours to waste before I can go out. 
Yeah, it's, it's what you do when, when, you, when you're retired or sick or whatever. Yeah. What, what you do is you rearrange your CDs, don't you? Yeah. You put them in order. And that's what the police in Northumbria are doing. Uh, they, they've got a system of red, amber and green. And they've been wandering around all the... Um, all, all of the statues and the shopping centres and the street names, etc., giving them amber, red and green warnings uh, to, to indicate to us whether or not they are right-wing dog whistles and can be um, connected in some yeah. way to our M imperial history. This is not the policing that we no. want. Well, as we speak... We want, we as want we, good as, old coppers. Of course, as we speak, Harry, we're watching various videos that some people will have seen before. Some people won't have seen them. These are videos that are now on, uh, put out on a daily basis. Uh, kids fighting outside of schools. Um, you know, guys wandering about with machetes, attacking people on mopeds. You've got, you know, people having their watches stolen um, in uh, streets in the centre of London, quite wealthy streets, you know. And as far as the Vikings go, um, I'm thinking it's bad news for the Jorvik Viking Centre in York, where I've actually been. Uh, presumably oh, that will yeah. now be categorised as a, as a hotbed of right-wing extremism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's clearly promoting uh, Ku Klux Klanism and, uh, and all the rest of it, isn't it? That's, that's the problem with this thing. We don't want the police doing this. No, um, but let's, let's face it, Northumbria are not the only ones. Um, in North Yorkshire, North Yorkshire police recently prosecuted, successfully prosecuted a chap because he wrote a naughty letter to Gareth Southgate and called him Gareth Wokegate and criticised Black Lives Matter. He was prosecuted. Hampshire seriously? police last week. What, seriously? Yeah, no, seriously? What was he prosecuted for? For what? Section 127 Communica Communications Act. What, malicious Gareth communication? Gareth, Gareth, yeah, Gareth, Gareth Southgate was very offended because this gentleman criticised kneeling, uh, uh, said that Black Lives Matter was a Marxist organisation, oh. uh, called Gareth Southgate, I think he called him Gareth Wokegate. Uh, I quite like that. Um, yeah, he, he was prosecuted and convicted. Yeah. Well, I think we reached, we reached sort of peak football wokery, didn't we, when England played the USA? <laughs> and England took the knee, but the Americans didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of go, sorry, Absolutely. that's where it came from, but they're not doing it now. No, because they've, le they've learned, they know better. They know that this sort of virtue signalling, it only makes matters worse. Mm. And that, unfortunately, I think, is what it's designed to do. I think that we have a... Um, an ideological elite class who actually want some form of ideological race war, woke war, trans war, whatever you want it. Because I think they want to get rid of the old order and I think they want to build back better. I think that's what they want to Well, do. the other reason they might be doing it as well is that it's actually easier. You know, they don't have, to, course, wade in, they don't have to wade into sort of gangs of people who might have a knife or a machete when they can go knocking on your door and accuse you of sending a nasty tweet. You know, you're less likely to whack them with something, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Hampshire Police this weekend, again, uh, they were bragging that, that they caught a, a, a young lad, they called him, a young lad who told a racist joke and they said they could, they, they, they could have prosecuted him, but instead they made him write a groveling letter um, apologising for telling his racist joke and sent him on a hate awareness course. <laughs> what is that all I mean, about? come on. It really is ridiculous, isn't it? It's gone. The, the world has actually officially gone mad. But listen, good to see you. Great to talk to you. Uh, good luck with the Good Lord Project. I know you do some fine work. Harry Miller, a former police officer, of course. If you're ever in trouble with the cops because of some kind of alleged hate crime, he's your man. Fair Cop Group uh, is the name of it, uh, and you need to talk to him uh, if you need to have some kind of advice about what to do uh, if the powers that be have decided that you've said something horrible to somebody. I mean, what's wrong with Gareth Wokegate, for heaven's sake? I mean, I don't know if it's any more serious than that, but I think that's quite funny. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we're going to be talking to you about an incredible amount of money that's been wasted, believe it or not, 
by our political masters. That's right. Uh, they've all been given credit cards that they can spend up to £20,000 each on. As somebody pointed out to me earlier on this morning, don't these MPs pay for anything? Do they just charge us for everything that they do? Well, the answer, I'm afraid, is yes. This is Talk TV. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hot talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. It is Monday morning. The sky appears to be blue. The weather appears to be fine. It is half term. If you've been lucky enough to get away, uh, maybe you're still listening and watching us uh, from whichever part of the world you are in. Uh, But certainly the world seems a little bit quieter uh, around these parts anyway, uh, as people uh, don't have to take their children to school. Uh, There's some reports out recently, uh, which we'll be talking about later on, that some schools now are so poor uh, in primary level um, that you've got absolutely no chance of your child emerging from that school with anything like the ability to read or write uh, to a reasonable degree. Seems extraordinary, but it's true. Uh, Peter Hitchens is here with us. We're going to be talking as well uh, to him about all sorts of things, including maybe a bit on the Chinese spy balloons, but certainly uh, prevent this report that came out by William Shawcross last week, which pointed out that actually if they'd spent more time concentrating on the real threats, uh, they might have actually been better off. An extraordinary statistic pointed out by Rod Little that of the 13 um, terrorist attacks during the period of time uh, that Prevent was writing the report. Seven of them uh, were made by people who had come through the Prevent programme. Uh, his suggestion was Prevent wasn't really the right word to use, but we'll come back to that. Uh, we'll talk a bit about Ukraine as well. Uh, of course, we'll take more of your calls too. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's get it on. Very good morning to you, Peter. Morning. Nice to see you. It's the spring. It's a beautiful day. It's, it it does feel sort of like something. Well, I, I think changing. spring now begins about now. I think. Does it? You, I rejoice at it. I think there's a definite feeling of it in the air. There, there, there is a definite. I mean, I was the at the beach at the weekend with the dog and another dog, two dogs this time, um, and it was positively sort of balmy. It's, it's, it is a beautiful time of year. People mm. should forget about the calendar and take full advantage. Of yes. It. Get out into the open. I think so. Out. Absolutely right. Providing, of course, you don't do anything you're not allowed to do because. Well, no, we're not. Re- we're never recommended. There's more and more things that you're not supposed to do now. I know. Like, don't park here, you know, don't stand there. Make sure that if you do stand there, that you're not standing next to well, anyone. Well, it's true. But as you get older and older, the number of things you're not allowed to do is, is <laughs> not much greater than the number of things you're unable to do. So true. It doesn't yes. very much. Very true. Shall we start with prevents? Because you wrote yeah. about it this weekend. And, and the, um, the Mail on Sunday, in, in a separate story, also wrote about this. What we, we see in Prevent and everything that goes with it is, the, is an embryonic Stasi in this country. Mm. And when I say Stasi, I mean quite deliberate, pointing out this was a, that Stasi was a left-wing political yeah. police, uh, which was basically on the lookout for people with conservative opinions. Mm. And that's what we're creating. What William Shawcross found in his report, I'm not very interested in his worries about whether Prevent is being not active enough about Islamic terrorism because as Rod Little rightly points out I'm not sure this stuff does any good anyway what is fascinating though is the way that the organisation increasingly equates uh, Islamist terrorism with something it calls right wing extremism or far right extremism and this apparently includes according to various documents that have circulated within within Prevent uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg Rod Little himself, yeah. Melanie yeah. Phillips, yeah. Uh, and I think um, what's that chap who writes all those um, all those books about um, the madness of crowds? Name escapes me. Oh yes, yes, I know exactly. You know the one. I mean, yeah. Anyway, him too. He's, yeah. he's one of the. Douglas Murray. Douglas Murray. 
That's the one. Douglas to my Murray. slight disappointment, I don't seem to have featured him. I was going to say, I mean, that's a bit... I mean, honestly, it's a bit... You've missed the, you've missed mean, the boat is, there. They know how to hurt a man. Yeah. But leaving that aside... It's a bit like the Big Brother project. I was a bit well, they, disappointed they I wasn't in there. No, yeah, but I don't think no, I was in there. Well, the, the thing is, it, it rather depended <laughs> on whether you'd been asked by Big Brother Watch to, to do the subject yes. access. Reviews, which I was, and yeah. you perhaps were not. Well, I was in it by, by association with you. By association with me, so, you're yeah. definitely so in it. So I'm just so as guilty should, in a way. You should, you should take the credit. I'll take it, yeah. Yeah, but on this occasion, I, the, the documents haven't turned me up yet. But here it is. I don't think that there is any such thing in reality as a serious right-wing extremist movement in no. this country. Uh, certainly, it's not remotely. If the, if the, if, uh, extremism is, in any case, a subjective term. It means somebody I disagree with. Yes. Uh, it doesn't actually mean anything more than that. This is an infuriating habit of the sort of people who write for the Times mm. newspaper. Yeah. They all say, we write for the centre-left or the centre-right. Who says? Yeah. Who says that the, that the views of David yeah. Aronovich or, 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 or Danny Finkelstein are in the centre? They mm. do. And therefore, if they're in the centre, then people like me are out on the extreme. Yes. But I could equally well claim, if I had um, if, if I had a big enough platform, that I was to centre and say well, they were the extreme. Yes. The fact is, opinions are of, of, of equal value until they're tested, uh, and, and they should be but judged, there is a sort judged, of snob judged on their morality and their effectiveness. But, but there is a bit of a snob value to this, isn't there? Because if you no, are, it's worse than that. It's if you're a centre left, everybody else is less lesser than you. Somehow. Well, yes, but it, but it is a claim. It is a claim that you are that you represent. The right opinion. Mm. Yeah. The, the use of the word centre is, is, is like saying I'm right, you're wrong, without yeah. actually being so childish as to say it. Yeah. And that's why I object to it. Uh, the the thing is that what what is going on here is a, is a growing, uh, I won't say pre obsession, I say preoccupation. Mm. Uh, on this subject, you'll find the the police, which I now regard as a left wing body, and yeah. if they fly the rainbow. No flag, question. I don't think there's any doubt about the fact no. that they've been completely captured mm. by the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s. Uh, MI5, uh, which I think again is really it's a secret police force. Yeah. We um, people wrongly refer to it as a spy service. The only people it spies on are the citizens of this country, and again, its priorities are increasingly those of the of the left, which disapproves yeah. of conservative thought. Uh, is thoroughly um, uh, upset and unsettled by people wanting to leave the European Union and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. And the whole idea of, of classifying what used to be perfectly normal conservative opinions into something called right-wing extremism and of claiming, and this this runs both ways, but of claiming that people who do um, mad things uh, are obviously right-wing extremists, mm. particularly the case of the of, of mayor, the um, the killer of, of Joe Cox. And yeah. uh, I looked up this man, and he he was obviously, he had a long history of, of mental illness from one yeah. kind or another, there's no doubt about it. He was so tragic, uh, and I, this is not in any way to excuse his, his, his frightful action, which is a, 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 it robbed us of a, a, a very lovely person, as mm. far as I can see. But he, he, he actually went around in public wearing marigold gloves and he mm. tried to clean his own. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Skin with Brillo pads. Yeah. He was not sane. And to, to, to treat him as the criminal justice system did, as a political actor, mm. as a right-wing extremist... Uh, because he had some some uh, books from uh, some neo-Nazi-ish parties in mm. his home, seems to me to be putting two and two together and making seventeen. Yeah. But there was an enormous. There seemed to be a desire in in the criminal justice system to treat him as political. Mm. It's a mirror image. Well, it's like drawing the facts gently towards the story you want to write. Yeah, isn't but it? it's a mirror image of this. Quite a lot of the people who take part in supposed acts of Islamist terror. You remember the, the Leytonstone knife mm-hmm. attacker? Yeah. Again, he did terrible things. He, he stabbed people and, and, and hurt them quite badly. Yeah. But this was a man who had, for, for some long time, had been sectioned yeah. on, on mental health issues and who genuinely believed, I'm not making this up, this is a man who genuinely believed that Anthony Charles Linton Blair was his guardian angel. Now, to treat him mm. as if he was a serious, methodical political actor and to imagine that that anybody who had any political objections would see any purpose whatsoever in stabbing wholly innocent people mm. in a tube station is an absurdity. Yes. We keep politicising things, which are although isn't there a, because we want to, to, to use it as a pretext yes. for diminishing the liberties of the subject. But isn't there also a, a difference in the way that they are regarded? Because in his case, for example, they were more likely to call him a lone wolf yeah. or something rather than mentally ill, whereas... Um, with the right-wing side, they'll call him a right-wing extremist rather than a lone wolf. Well, yes, but there, there was still, in, in, the, in, in the treatment of the Leighton Stone guy in the criminal justice system, there were still quite a lot of people who, uh, in, in the police and, the, uh, and elsewhere who, even after the revelations came mm. about his family's efforts to get him treated for mental illness and his, his use of marijuana and all the other things which you find in so many of these mm. cases, they still insisted on treating him as if he was a political actor. Yeah. They wanted to because by doing so, by, by, by saying that such a person is a political actor, you make it easier to persuade the public to accept the sort of surveillance restrictions, yes. uh, reducing of, of, of liberty, getting rid of habeas mm. corpus, introducing strange charges such as, was it glorifying terrorism is now, mm. is now a criminal charge in this country. Yeah. I find slightly odd. Well, the other thing that I found extraordinary was the budget that Prevent has, £47 million a year or something like that. And you think, well, what exactly are they spending that on and why did they need that much money? And as you say, it's easier for them to say, this is how we're going to prevent this from happening, yeah. rather than saying we cannot prevent actually random acts of madness because there are crazy people out there I, who will do crazy things. Look, there are obvious... One should obviously be on one's guard as a state, and the police should be on one's guard against against certain activities. Mm. I personally think that a, that a proper old-fashioned preventive patrolling police force would pick up much more of this sort of stuff than the, yeah. the than all the current stuff that goes on. But that's 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 an opinion. I'm not against us taking action uh, to try to prevent acts of terrorism because it's, it it makes sense. But that shouldn't be used, as I say, as a pretext mm. for for launching surveillance on people who, who who've done nothing and whose only crime is a thought crime. Uh, nor should it be a, a pretext for, as certainly as the last Labour government used it, to, to diminish the liberties and protections of the subject and make it much easier to to arrest and convict people for things which mm. might not very long ago not even been regarded no. as crimes. Well, let's face it, there are many people who have had one of these things which they say they've stopped doing now, these non-crime, hate crime incidents, yeah. which can be recorded against you without your knowledge 
which will only be discovered by somebody if they do a CRB check on you, like a criminal background check, and they'll discover that this thing is lying around, yes, and hanging around as you're uh, uh, ruining your reputation, and you have no idea it's even there. No, I, the, the, these things are terrible, and, and, and it's, it's quite wrong. And I, there were various very odd things that happened as well with people being, I think, uh, fined in their absence during the COVID mm. panic as well, without even realising they'd been charged, as yeah. I understand. It's very strange. But the justice system has become far less open and far less, it seems to me, subject to the simple rule that you, of, of English law, which is that you prosecute people for what they do, mm. not for what they think or, or, or what they say, and that's right. what they say is an actual clear incitement to crime. Yes. And I think that the, 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 the whole apparatus of this makes people uh, more willing to consider uh, prosecution and surveillance of people who haven't actually done anything and probably won't. The other thing, of course, is they're not very good at keeping them under surveillance because all the people who were under surveillance seemingly somehow wriggled away from it and then they go later, oh, they've committed this a terrorist act we somehow knew about it's two odd, years ago. It? I don't understand how it's, they it's lose track of people. how they can people. lose track of them, but they, no doubt some explanation could be provided. But it, in, in general, I just, I just think we should be more worried about this. And I think the, for someone of the stature of William Shortgrass, mm. To actually come out and say this is probably the last warning you're going to get. Mm. And if people don't get exercised about it in Parliament and in the media and say, actually, is this body getting out of control? Then I think it will get out of control, and it, it will become an embryonic Stasi, mm. and, and it will it will be as with so many of these losses of liberty, ourselves to blame. And inside some of the sort of the nitty gritty, if you like, of the report was was quite a lot to be alarmed about. You know, quite a lot of schools where they're dealing with problems from um, various, you know, children, basically, who are being radicalised by, by people in their communities. I mean, there's a lot of things in there that you should be keeping an eye on, it seems to me. The government has a very big contradiction at its heart in all this. And the government itself believes in a multicultural society, and it certainly until recently has believed openly in open borders. Mm. Uh, and this is inevitably going to lead to, to to changes in what people believe and say about a number of important mm. things, uh, which it then becomes quite rightly worried about when it takes the form of terrorism. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's constrained by the fact that it doesn't really know <laughs> what to do about it. And so it goes mm. through the motions of, with, with, with bodies like preventive doing yeah. something about it. Hoping that it, tackling and it. hoping it might go away. If you want, if you don't want this country to to, uh, to to lose its existing culture, then you have to defend that existing culture. But almost nothing in in law or custom or the education system is there to defend mm. that culture. So it leaves space for an awful lot of ideas to flourish, uh, which quite rightly people find alarming. Yeah, I think so. Well, Peter Hitchens is here with us. We're going to talk about uh, Ukraine coming up. We're going to talk about a few other things as well, including the amazing amount of spending that's been going on in Whitehall. It's not so much the fact that they've spent all this money. It's kind of the stuff they've spent it on, which is our money, by the way. I find it quite extraordinary. This is Talk TV. Back after this. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here uh, on Talk TV. Just reminiscing with Mr Hitchens here about the good old days of uh, newspapers and in flagrante expenses because the government, would you believe, has been spending uh, £145 million of our money on some extraordinary things. Branded USB cables for the Foreign Office. I mean, why would you need a USB cable that said Foreign Office on it? Aren't you supposed to be a spy if you're in the Foreign Office or something? it's It's so strange... Um, my father was in the Navy, and I knew people long ago who were in the civil service, and their lives were completely constrained mm. by the Treasury. Every time any money needed to be spent on painting the funnels or whatever it was, yeah. 
huge amounts of justificatory documentation had to be submitted before the money mm. could be spent. Yes. You didn't spend it. And they say, oh, actually, can you meet my credit card mm. bill? It was a very, very tight grip yes. on public spending by the Treasury, Re- real in practice at, at small levels, at low yes, levels. everything signed People in triplicate. Spend it. Yeah. And, of course, as a result, our budgets until, I suppose, the mid-60s were largely mm. under control in this country. Something seems to have gone here. Mm. The, the, the view seems to be, I mean, especially since the COVID panic, well, this is all as a result of the COVID. They seems to be spend it and then and then they lowered they lowered the bar and they lowered the the necessity to have things approved apparently. Yeah. But who, what what maniac in any world would give somebody a credit card with twenty thousand pounds of credit on it effectively? Well, no individual um, would do it. No individual who had to meet his own bills would do it. But the government, which knows that it's surrounded mm. by millions of suckers paying tax yeah. without, uh, with, without paying too much attention to how it's spent. They get away with it. How about and this, this story happens, and, and what will what will become what will become of it? What will then happen? Will there now be serious restrictions on this sort of spending? I well, you'd like to think so. We won't read it again in two years' time. Nine thousand one hundred twenty-one pounds on an Airbnb for four staff during COP twenty-six climate conference. Well, four staff, nine thousand quid. There are so many things that one could say about that, but I think everybody who's listening or watching is already <laughs> thinking them. <laughs> It's true. Um, let's talk about your piece um, uh, this week about uh, Ukraine as well, because I haven't seen you since the uh, deification visit. No, of, uh, His no. Majesty President Zelensky. Saint, heaven, Saint, Saint heaven Blimey. be praised. Yeah, no. Well, bless him. That I, was I, quite I, extraordinary. I, I, actually, I mean, I, I, I've actually got something of a soft spot for, for Zelensky. Mm. I think he's, he's, he's managed to uh, to bear himself very well, given. What he fundamentally is an entertainer by profession. He's, well, he's, he's doing that he's very well. He's born himself with dignity and some courage, I think. And I, anybody must recognise that. Mm. But I, what we did in the Mail on Sunday at the weekend was what everybody should be doing. Was we held a debate yeah. uh, between me and Ed Lucas on the Ukraine issue. Yeah. And I pointed out that the if, if what you don't like about the invasion, uh, and you oughtn't to like it, uh, is that it's a disgusting act of, of violence in which people die... And it fills the fills Ukraine with blood and screams and mm. destruction and forces people to leave their homes. If you don't like that and you shouldn't like it, then why aren't you in favour of bringing this to an end? All wars end; they have to end sooner yeah. or later. And the sooner they end, the sooner the killing stops. Mm. And why, I have never, in all my long life, seen a war where there's been so little effort made to end it. So much so, I am beginning," he said mildly, "to suspect that there might be some people." Who wants it to be a long war? Yeah, um, it does. Does it does look like that at times, doesn't it? And well, certainly, the, you've spoken before about you know arming Ukraine, and suddenly you know things are happening which weren't going to happen. Suddenly, there are planes being talked about. And everything which we originally delivered. say we won't do, we do. Yeah, uh, and this country, which is actually very poorly defended and has very few serviceable weapons, is being used as a means to embarrass uh, better equipped countries such as Germany. Mm into handing over the much greater stocks of equipment they have, 14 Challenger tanks. I mean, what difference does that make to Ukraine? Mm. To us, actually, apparently, it's, it's, it's a very large stock yeah. of our, our functioning tanks because we have a lot of tanks in warehouses rusting away, unable to move. But yeah. the ones which could actually move and fight are quite uh, 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 not very many at all, mm. and we're going to be sacrificing some of those. Also, I don't know what we're doing about this, but our tanks, our, our more modern Challenger tanks, contain very, very secret armour. Mm. And if anybody were to capture them and get hold of that, it would be a great blow to us because having captured it, they can obviously yes. find out how it works and, and we would lose that advantage. So I don't know what we're playing out here, but it came out again at the weekend with, uh, with people in Germany complaining 
that we really aren't up to taking over this spearhead role in NATO, which mm. we're due to take up in, a, in, in about a year's time, uh, because we simply don't have the troops or the equipment to meet the, to right. meet the demands. And it's true, we don't. We are, we are military, we're actually rather a weak country mm. at the moment. So at the same time... Well, the Americans say we don't have an effective fighting well, force, yes, more we're, or less. No, we, we've dropped out of the front rank. Mm. And people should be aware of this. Now, my view on this is that the fundamental purpose of our armed forces is to defend this country. Yeah. Uh, you would and, think, and not, and we should be much more worried about that than we are about uh, about engaging in a war, which, as mm. I say, does not seem to me to be any concern of ours. I I think it's a stupid war, as you know. I've said so many times. Mm. Th there are people in America who think uh, that it's a good idea to have a confrontation with Russia and Ukraine, and they've uh, they've achieved one. And there are strong political reasons in America for this to happen, but that's no reason for us to follow on no. as the fifth wheel in the American car. We should be worrying about defending ourselves. It, one of the things that's become quite clear in this war is that old-fashioned, clunky, uh, basically Second World War methods of warfare are still very mm. much in vogue. Yeah. When it actually comes to it, uh, high-tech electronic weapons and people surveying the... Uh, the internet won't save you. What you need are people who can who can fight and take ground mm. in the infantry, armored vehicles, artillery, uh, and plenty of guns and ammunition. And we haven't got any of that. No, and that's not the other thing that anyway. we're not talking about. And I said this at the end of last week that you know there's no conversation being had, certainly in Parliament or much around it, about what will happen if this does escalate. If it actually does become something more than you know, Russia versus Ukraine, and there is some conflagration into Poland, or there is some, well, you know, work. NATO joining uh, of this war. What happens to us? Nobody knows. And we have a habit in this country. In the First World War, which was our biggest mistake in 1914, most people in this country believe that when we joined the war, it would be it would be a naval war for us that would be we, we wouldn't need to make any major military mm. contribution on the continent. It would just be a war in which our ships would, would, would sink the enemy and we might pay or subsidize our allies on the continent to, 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 to fight and win as we'd done mm. in the Napoleonic Wars. Everyone was astonished to find after a couple of years that people were actually being forced into the army and made to go off and, and fight in the yeah. trenches. And but that's what happens and with to wars. Not they come back. get well and indeed to not come back or to come back in, in, in terribly maimed. Mm. And that's what happens with wars. They get out of control and once they get out of control it's very hard to get them back. This is still a moment at which we could get this war under control. You say, well, you can't appease uh, Vladimir Putin. Well, I don't believe you should appease Vladimir Putin. But on the other hand, uh, it, it, it makes sense to reach an, an iron-bound, lasting mm. agreement in that part of the world so that there aren't any wars there, to the benefit of both Ukraine and Russia, so that both of those countries can advance towards the, yeah. the prosperous civilizations they both ought to be. Well, exactly. And neither of them, in my view, are. Well, and Ukraine is being kind of destroyed oh, piece totally by piece. I mean, we, when you see pictures of those cities yeah. that have been just raised to the ground. Well, it's also the, 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 the constant war on the infrastructure. Mm. There is, in so many parts of Ukraine, there's no real regular electrical power. No. We don't. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but I think the reporting from Ukraine is terribly, how shall I say, inadequate mm. in, in, in describing it's never been great, has it? just how much privation the Ukrainians yeah. are undergoing. And also, uh, you, we get, we're told all the time about, about Russians being conscripted into the army. Are not Ukrainians being conscripted mm. into their army? I, 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 I would well, imagine my, they They were are. prevented from leaving the country. Well, that's they? exactly. They can't go. So right. there must have been a purpose for that. I, I think that it's, the, it's the part of the point I made in my article is that we've, we've developed this absurd idea that it is, 
it's Gandalf on one side and the Dark Lord Sauron mm. on the other, and yeah. one side is totally good and the other side is totally bad. Right. This is never so, and I produced one thing which established this beyond doubt. United Nations last November produced a report, well worth reading, about treatment of prisoners of war mm. by both sides. It's a very even-handed, sober, soberly written report. It makes it quite clear that the Ukrainians have been mistreating Russian prisoners of war and the Russians have been, yeah. have been probably even more badly mistreating Ukrainian prisoners of war. This is what happens in war. Yeah. Both sides behave badly. Both sides have um, have bad motives, and both sides have defensible motives. And the, it, it is the case that there could be a negotiated peace, which ended this, which would be far far better for the people of Ukraine, yes. whom we profess to care about. Because it will end eventually. Continuing war. It will end eventually, and then people will say, "Well, why couldn't you have done this well, last year?" The or, longer, you know, two the, years ago. The longer it goes on the harder it is to end, because yeah. the bitterer people quite recently become. The sooner we sort it out, the easier it will be to reach a settlement. But mm. you hear talk at the moment, there's a lot of Ukrainian talk about retaking Crimea. Yeah. Now, legally, the, the Russian position in Crimea is absolutely wrong. The Russians have no legal right in Crimea at all. But the fact is that Crimea is, is populated largely by Russians, and yeah. they, they want to be ruled by Russians, if and Russia regards it much as we regarded the Falkland Islands yeah. in 1982. And if the Ukrainians started to attack Crimea, then it would change the character of the war very deeply, because mm. Russia would then consider itself to be on the defensive against, a, against an aggression. And that would give a great deal more moral force mm. to Putin. But this is, this is being seriously talked about. And I think we have to beware of the ways in which this could go. And the number of times we had the, the mysterious missile landing in Poland. Yeah. We have um, Moldova... Uh, complaining that, that, that Russian missiles have been flying across its territory. It's so easy by a couple of accidents mm. to spread a war yeah. and so hard to contain it uh, that, I, again, I just have to warn people, this thing could run out of control, mm. as wars always do. Very easily. Support a public opinion, if it, if it makes itself felt, supporting the idea of, of peace could have an effect. That's how the Vietnam War was mm. brought to an end, yeah. in the end was by a huge shift in public opinion. People need to think about stop listening to, to propaganda and imagining it to be the truth. Yeah, I think that goes for all sorts of areas, doesn't it, That's really? There's another ball of wax, as they say. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Uh, Peter Hitchens back in the mail on Sunday, of course, and possibly earlier than that uh, in Daily Mail as well. Uh, we've got lots more to do. Coming up, we're going to be talking uh, to the director of the Alliance of British Drivers because uh, there is currently in local councils up and down the country a kind of war going on against the motorists. The bike racks are appearing, flower beds, parklets replacing parking spaces, little pitch patches of green where you can sit, but where you used to be able to drive. Nobody knows why. We'll see what we can find out. This is Talk TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on, of course, between now and one o'clock. Uh, Ian Collins will be back at that point. Loads more to do, uh, including, of course, talking to many of you. 0344 499 1000. Don't miss it tonight, by the way, on Talk Sport. The Merseyside Derby, Liverpool, Everton uh, from 6pm. The kickoff is at 8pm. Uh, Talk Sport is your home of football. Listen on DAB, download the app or via TalkSport.com. Uh, and Richard Tice, in fact, I've just been told, uh, is back tonight. Uh, in for Piers Morgan uh, with Isabel Oakeshott, the two of them uh, on the big TV screen uh, from 8 o'clock. That's after Jeremy Carl live at 7. We'll be talking to Jeremy coming up a little bit later on. Um, how about this um, from um, 
Where are we? Um, oh no, I've read that one already. Uh, I laughed with, I howled with laughter, says this one, um, about airport Angie, Jackie says, moaning about the government procurement cards. You could not make it up. And that's true, of course, because uh, some Labour supporters are saying, what's wrong with you? Why are you making uh, a big deal out of these uh, headphones that Angie, uh, Angela Rayner has actually got? Well, she's got two lots of them for 250 odd quid a pair. And she's charging us. I mean, I have to buy... Um, ear pods and headphones for my job. I don't charge them to the taxpayer. I don't charge them uh, off against tax. I'm not allowed to. So, unfortunately, I have to pay for my stuff, as most of you do who are listening. Of course, if you work for the government, or indeed the opposition, you can just charge the taxpayer. Brilliant, isn't it? What a great system. 0344 499 1000. If you lose them, don't worry. Um, just get some more, and the taxpayer will pay. Let's talk, though, about what is going on up in the skies above, because, of course... Over the course of the last week or two, we've been talking a lot about spy satellites, about spy balloons, about balloons floating around. There's now more balloons floating around than I think anybody ever knew. The Pentagon has said that they're refusing to rule out that objects flying over the US, which may or may not be spy balloons, might actually not even be from this planet. They could be extraterrestrially based. They could be alien based. So the question is, if they are, alien-based. Where are they from? Who sent them? And what do they want? Let's talk to Professor Don Palacco, a Professor of Astrophysics at the University of Warwick. Professor Don, um, this is a bit of an intriguing situation, isn't it? Hi, Mike. Yeah, intriguing is, is exactly the word I would use. Yeah. As, I mean, so I, don't, I don't really buy the idea that China, which has a massed uh, um, sort of incredible satellite technology, incredible probably... Um, uh, you know, snooping technology would need to put up some kind of rather haphazard balloon to find out what's happening uh, on the surface of the Earth, um, particularly in the United States of America. But but I'm I'm assured by people who know more than I do that that's exactly what they're doing. Well, it's far more likely to be that than to be alien technology. That's for certain. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly I don't. I'm not sure I buy that uh, aliens would be coming in on balloons. <laughs> Well, that, that's. I don't think I don't think balloons would work very well in space. But no. um, Apart from that, you know, it would take uh, a chemical rocket uh, to the nearest star would take hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. So. So that, so yeah, that so it has to be but, a different. But, 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 I mean, we've all, but we've all watched the old science fiction movies. I mean, could there be a mothership somewhere, just you know, <laughs> floating above the, the the atmosphere, dropping these balloons down? You know, like sort of fighters, like the star. So why fighters. would they? Why would they be doing that? Well, I've no idea. I'm, I'm, you're the expert. I mean, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> well, you see, I mean, there's always lots of rumours and conspiracies and things like this. Yeah. But if you're, someone's got the technology to fly a spaceship to Earth over interstellar distances, right. they've got the technology to be amongst us without us realising. Right. Do you, mean, think, you, know, do you think they are? Us, do you think they are will... amongst us? Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe I'm one. I, don't, I really don't know. Right. I doubt it. I mean, I like the men in black line on that one where they go, yeah, I always knew there were aliens here. And then they look at the various teachers they used to have, people that worked with them. And they, yeah, I always thought that guy was an alien. But we, we just don't know. But I take the same view about China, you see. I say if China have got all this incredible technology where they can literally pinpoint what colour your shirt button is from, you know, 150 metres higher than, uh, you know, the space station then why would they need to do anything else if they wanted to find out what was going on? Well, because balloons are cheap. Balloons yeah, but they're not short of money, than... are they? Well, um, it, 
depends what you, if you want, might want to try out a new technology. If you launch a spacecraft, you're 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 spending significant money. Yeah. So you know there are reasons why people might choose to do a balloon reconnaissance. Uh, if you believe the Chinese, the Americans have been doing it quite a lot recently as well. I mean, that's, the, uh, that's one of the things that I would expect could be possibly the reason for these balloons, is that they're actually being put up by the Americans themselves to make out that the Chinese are spying on them, uh, because that's always a good look. The Americans love defending themselves against spies. I love this game. It's all about conspiracy all the time, <laughs> isn't it? Well, because we don't know any facts. That's the problem. And the only fact we have is that the US is saying, we don't know what these things are. We don't know where they've come from. Now, if they don't know, and they've got the tracking, and they've got the science, and they've got the devices to be able to work that out, if they don't know, how are we supposed to know? Well, we're not going to know. And the reality is, of course, is maybe they don't know either. If it's not American, then they don't know. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting, this last one, was octagonal shaped with strings hanging off it. And it's always the way, whenever you don't have all the information, then your mind leaps ahead and you can devise anything you want from it. Well, exactly. Um, but it seems um, less likely to me that, say, a, a foreign government who wanted to spy on us in some way, shape or form as the West would do something so naff. It just seems a bit naff. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'd like to think um, I'd like to think that uh, that uh, maybe countries do do things like this. It's uh, it's an easy, it's a cheap way. They just claim they're all um, weather balloons in the end. Yeah. But I think what's interesting in this case is that if it hadn't been for the big 300 meter balloon or 200 meter balloon, um, the other ones were much more difficult to see. Right. And it could be that that the big balloon alerted them and they looked a lot more carefully. At their radar, yeah. See what was actually out. I there. mean, you'd like to think that if some country was sending hundreds of these things across the land in the air, that they might have spotted them. Well, I think it's actually quite interesting because if you're at uh, this altitude, if you're, I think the last ones are at twenty to forty thousand feet. Yeah. But if you're above that, there aren't many things that go that high, um, and missiles and things like that tend to go higher. Yeah. So, you know, radar, radars are looking for missiles and they're at higher altitudes. And these things will be quite small. Right. I think they were saying they're about the size of a car. So I think you'd actually have to go out and actually look for them right. as well. The only um, people I think we can rule out of this particular equation are the mob, the mob that started launched that rocket from New Key because they clearly aren't very good at anything. So I'm, I'm not blaming them for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a bit unfair. I think Virgin... <laughs> It's Virgin Galactic, and uh, they will get there. I think it just shows how dangerous or how dangerous the whole thing is to launch these rockets. Yeah. They will get there, for sure. Very quickly, you, your research is in the field of extrasolar planets. What, have, what, what are they, and what, what, what lives there? <laughs> so I do two things. I do extrasolar planet work, which is really finding planets like the Earth around other stars mm. to go and assess really how unique we are in the end yeah. and how unique our solar system is. Um, but I also do work on things close to the Earth, actually. So, you know, space debris around around the Earth, quite right. close to the Earth. Um, and, uh, is there and life somewhere, space. can you say? Sorry? Is there life anywhere, can you say, outside of Earth? Well, there's life here. I don't know about anywhere else. Possibly. Possibly. But what, I mean, the lesson that I've learned is that for us, this is the best place to live. 
all these other planets we see are not like the Earth and uh, are probably pretty hostile mm. and a long way away. Yes. So we yeah, well, listen, um, I'll, take, I'll take your advice as read on that. Thank you very much indeed. Don Palacco, Professor of Astrophysics at the University of Warwick. Fascinating stuff. Uh, this is Talk TV. A proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On DAB+, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots going on, loads to do between now and one o'clock. Of course, Jeremy Carr will be on coming up a little bit later on in this hour. Uh, Jordan Tilsley's here with us, though, in the first part of the hour to talk about a great many things, including, of course, uh, the treatment of Lee Anderson uh, in the media. Lee Anderson often painted as this kind of, you know, rough and ready northerner, when in fact, one, he's not even particularly a northerner. Two, he's not particularly rough and ready. Three, he speaks like an awful lot of ordinary people speak, uh, and he cares about the things that an awful lot of ordinary people care for. Um, he's been sort of vilified by the Westminster bubble ever since he was made deputy chairman of the Tory party last week uh, in what can only be described as an incredibly brave and unusually unexpected move by Rishi Sunak, who normally plays it safe on absolutely everything. He's actually nominated um, this man, Lee Anderson, uh, as the darling of the red wall seats, which I think is what he is, a man who speaks his mind, a man who does not in any way, shape or form represent the Westminster bubble, and that's why people like him. Uh, of course, lefties hate him. Lisa Nandy and he have been having a bit of a set to on Twitter today uh, because she said on Question Time the other night, she's debated Lee Anderson many times on the subject of working class Labour supporting communities in the north of England uh, who would be very welcoming uh, to asylum seekers. There's obviously the Nosley riots at the, uh, uh, that part of Liverpool over the weekend have uh, sort of concentrated everybody's minds as well. So there's a lot to talk about through all of this. And also, we're going to touch upon the bad performance of several primary schools. There's more than 120 primary schools uh, in a, uh, an Ofsted report have been rated as poor. And if you happen to be living in a place where your school as a primary is listed as poor, you don't really have an awful lot of choice. So let's say a very good afternoon to Jordan uh, to see what she makes of it all. Jordan, nice to talk to you. How are you doing? Hi Mike, I'm very well, how are you? Very well indeed. You wrote a great piece I thought at the weekend about uh, um, Lee Anderson for Spikes Online and how he is kind of this figure who's very divisive, um, not because of his own making I don't think, but because people are snobbish about him and even uh, um, the Sunday Times, Nigel Lawson this, this weekend had a piece about how calling this man sort of stupid and making out that he's some kind of working class fool uh, is not going to help anybody. Well, no, it's not going to help anybody. And of course, there will be very many people who actually agree with Lee Anderson. So every time you call Lee Anderson stupid, mm. you're also calling everyone who agrees with him stupid as well. And I personally don't think that's a very good strategy. And it's not, is it? And it, does it not also kind of give the idea that Labour, in a way, has kind of forgotten who it's supposed to represent? It's forgotten its roots. I mean, you know, this is a man who comes from a mining community, you know, the kind of place where up in the northeast now, Labour have lost seats to the Tory party. I mean, it might be they get them back. But, you know, it seems to me that if your only gain at the last election was Putney in southwest London, which is a place full of multi-million pound homes and Range Rovers, you've got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, the problem is he does have a very controversial and outrageous repertoire and back catalogue. But if you look at some of the things he says, there is something that we need to actually um, 
talk about. So, um, you know, nuisance tenants, people really focus on the fact that he said nuisance tenants should be made to uh, live in a field and pick potatoes at 6am. Now, obviously, that's, ex that's extreme and it's a silly suggestion and it's, you know, it's hyperbole. But we also do need to have a discussion about nuisance tenants and the fact that a lot of people's lives are made of misery yeah. in areas. And for some reason, people want to really focus on what Lee said, as opposed to actually focusing on nuisance tenants mm. and what we're going to do about that. But that's what often is the case, isn't it, on everything? Rather than talk, you know, when he talks about people can, can eat for 30p, you know, instead of people saying, actually, that's quite an interesting topic to debate, they started calling him 30p Lee. I mean, it's true, you can cook a reasonable meal for a, a small amount of money. It's true that, you know, the poor, poorest people in our communities are not starving, but they might well be spending more money on food than they should be because they're eating the wrong kind of food, you know. And, and he talks the, the language that a lot, an awful lot of our listeners and our viewers talk about as well. He says the things that they want to hear. When he talks about the death penalty, you know, I'm not particularly in favour of it, but it was an interesting conversation that we should be having. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and with the death penalty as well, you know, what it comes down to is people have lost trust in the justice system. They read the newspapers and they see the most heinous crimes and people are given such small sentences. And, um, and that, but it puts people in an extreme position. Um, and it makes people think, you know, perhaps the death penalty is the best uh, option for multiple murderers. Mm. I happen to think that uh, I don't agree with that. But it doesn't mean that we can't debate that in a civil manner. No, I think that's true. But there is, I mean, I was watching Question Time and I don't normally watch it frankly, because I've just given up on, you know, how hopeless it's become. But Lisa Nandy was on there and she was more or less saying that we shouldn't even be talking about the death penalty. There were people in the audience who were clearly Labour supporters saying this is not the kind of conversation that civilised countries should be having. Well, actually, I could, couldn't disagree more. Surely the whole, because the point about what I found interesting was that his uh, conversation about the death penalty led me to start thinking about the sentencing structure in this country, the fact that too many people get sent away for not long enough and they get let out too soon and then they're not um, monitored properly. And so we now have a situation where every six days somebody is murdered by somebody else who's out on probation. And all of those things, I think, are, are part of the same conversation. Yeah, I think it boils down to the fact that people don't want to have difficult conversations. And um, there's a real lack of respect for the people who tend to actually be uh, the victims of these crimes which are a lot of them working class people mm. people they don't have a voice um and people don't want to I, I, perhaps they don't even care <laughs> no well this is it and i think you know there's an awful lot of people in london particularly in that westminster bubble who don't really understand what life is like outside of it you know when you see these uh, these stories that we're covering this morning about the amount of money that's being spent in the civil service and by ministers and even angela rayner bless her uh, getting two lots of, uh, of apple ear pods you know for 250 pounds a pop and then charging me for it and you for it and you go well they don't live in the real world do they no no they don't they really are very very sheltered um and to an extent you know lee anderson is quite sheltered as well so there will be some people who are very much struggling and um you know it's it's hard they're working two jobs um and they've got to make a nutritious meal out of nowhere in a very short space of time they have to also read to their child mm. put them prepared. so it, it is quite difficult but um it doesn't mean that we can't discuss these things in a in a reasonable manner mm. i mean and we also 
you know, we, we have this, we, we always want to see the worst in people. Well, I think we also like, as British people, to kind of put you in a box, you know. People will be watching this going, oh, yeah, look, there's that woman from the north, or, you know, there's that Mike Graham, he's a racist, you know. There's, you know, Lee Anderson, he's that bloke that likes the death penalty. You know, they like to be able to sort of sum you up in one sentence. And it's not that straightforward, I'm afraid. No, it's not. It's not. We all have um, a different range of views. You know, there's some things that Lee Anderson says that I think are, you know, are silly, but there's other things that I think actually has a point there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's wrong to dismiss people. Um, I think it's very wrong for his opponents to dismiss that as well, yeah. because that means that he's, they're dismissing quite a large section of voters. Well, I think so. And that is the problem for Labour, isn't it, going towards the next general election? Because I don't think for any uh, means it's, it's, it's a shoo-in for Keir Starmer. And I think there's too many people in the Labour Party like Keir Starmer uh, who are the sort of North London elite, if you like, barrister, you know, uh, may have had a reasonably sort of modest upbringing, but basically is now a very wealthy man um, and lives in a very expensive part of Britain and isn't really somebody that many working class people in the north of England would have anything in common with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the Tories have sort of imploded, haven't they? They're in a very, very terrible position. It almost seems as if they're on a mission to annoy as many different mm. groups as possible. Yeah. Um, it's the only thing but, they're good at. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Labour Party uh, is quite lucky in that respect. Um, so I think they're doing very well in the polls, uh, sort of as a default. Yes, no, I think that's right. Um, let's talk a little bit about schools, you know, because you're a parent. Um, 120 primary schools are now rated as poor by Ofsted in Britain. I don't know how, whether you've been affected by the school strikes or anything, but um, we've obviously been talking about the unions an awful lot. The unions are saying they want to get rid of these Ofsted ratings. I don't think they're any use to anybody. What's your experience of the school system as, you, as you're using it, if you are using it? Well, my first... My first child, my daughter, um, went to a school and it, it was very, very poor. So I took the decision to actually take her out at one point and I homeschooled her for the, for the last really? two years of school. Yeah. Um, so I took that into my own hands. Um, my son is now at a school that's very good. Um, it's wonderful. But a lot of parents are unfortunately in a position whereby uh, it's a postcode lottery mm. and the closest school to them is terrible. Yeah. And they don't have the option of being able to homeschool their child or to, um, you know, purchase tutors online. Mm. And it's, it's really quite sad. And once you're in that position, I suppose, you're stuck with it, aren't you? Because the school doesn't really get better. And what I've found in, in state school situations is that if the school is quite good, it then gets a better rating and then more and more people want to send their kids there and then it sort of becomes overwhelmed and then it starts to go back the other way again. Yeah, yeah. And a big problem as well that Ofsted can't really talk about is parenting. Yeah. You know, if certain parents do not place enough attention on education and they don't really care about it, their children suffer. Because obviously, given the opportunity, kids want to play on computer games, they want to watch cartoons, they don't want to sit there and, you know, read or do some work yeah. like that. If you don't have a parent at home who's really putting a lot of focus on that, then... The children suffer, the school suffers, the teachers suffer, um, and then it comes down to a bad rating with Ofsted. Mm. So it's, it's an incredibly difficult situation. Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's very much a vicious circle. I've got to, I've got to finish with your tweet from yesterday about UFOs because we just had a very funny conversation <laughs> with our uh, uh, astrophysics professor who doesn't seem to know whether there's any extraterrestrial life out there or not, and he's meant to know. You say that you saw a UFO in uh, Mallorca last year. What was it? Well, I don't 
I don't know what I saw, but I know it wasn't an aeroplane and it wasn't a drone. So I was outside, I was in Mallorca and um, I was in the hotel and, and then I was just looking up at the sky. I was with other people as well, so I wasn't on my own. Other people did see this. Right. And high in the sky was this thing and it was traveling really slowly in a straight line. It was right. bright pink and it was shaped like a tic-tac and then it just disappeared from view. And there it is, we can yeah, see it. Yeah, there it is, there it is. And that's a zoomed in picture as well. Right. So it, it was a lot bigger and than so, that. So how, did, how high up did it seem to be? Very, very high, but a lot higher than what an aeroplane would really? be. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really, really strange. And I know I sound like a bit of a nutter. Not really. But, but I know I saw it, and obviously I took it. I wish I'd taken a video, actually. I'm surprised um, nobody's got in touch with me to ask me about this. Uh, I know. Well, listen, I've only just spotted it, so so maybe now somebody will. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's one of those things that nobody really can answer the question. I ask the astrophysicist who studies other planets; he doesn't know if there's anybody else out there, but there may well be. Um, I just find it very hard to believe that all these balloons are being sent from China. I mean, just why would they bother? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it, they may be spying on us, or it may be something like that, or it could be extraterrestrials. No, I always keep an open mind. Yeah. Um, you never know. It could be our relatives in the future who are coming back to observe <laughs> us with quantum mechanics or something like that. Yeah. But well, listen, there's any number of movies that I can recommend that you can watch, which will convince you that there's something out there. But who knows? Anyway, listen, Jordan, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Jordan Tilsley, the writer and commentator. You can find her in Spikes Online uh, and many other places as well. Fascinating stuff. Coming up, uh, we're going to talk a bit about Sam Smith, possibly. But also, Jeremy Carl's going to be here. He might want to talk about UFOs as well. What if he's ever seen Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.